Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, our topic is why CPARs matter and what you should do if you receive an unfavorable review. This is a holiday encore presentation of an earlier episode since CPAR season is right around the corner. If you're listening to these podcasts in the order that they're released, you know I've been on the road a lot lately, recording from hotel rooms and editing from airplanes. Last week, we had our first hotel recording audio disaster, which left us with a completely unusable episode. Luckily, Kevin picked up the slack by recording another episode with the Skyway team. The audio isn't perfect on this one either, but it's worlds better than the one we can. And this episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with your progress in the government market, Skyway's team of former contracting officers helps their customers of all sizes move faster, win more contracts, and manage the contracts they have more effectively. Go to AskSkyway.com and schedule a time to talk to Kevin to learn more. Okay, let's join Kevin's conversation about CPARs with Shelley Hall, a contracting officer with over 20 years experience on the government side, and Christy Gilbert, a contracts manager and attorney who has 20 plus years on the industry side. Well, Shelly, you and Paul did a podcast on CPAR specifically like last year. And for those of you who haven't heard it, can you kind of recap what, what is a CPAR? What's the acronym stand for? Well, it stands for the Contractor Performance Assessment Reporting System. And most contracts, you know, it depends, but most service contracts over a million dollars and most supply contracts over $5 million dollars are required to have a CPARs done every 365 days of contract performance. That's the simple answer. So it's really the contractor's report card. Okay. And, and so through this episode, we'll talk about why CPARs are important and what you can do if you get one that you don't like <laughs> the potential results of. But first, let's say thanks. I want to say thanks to Jerry McGee. He's a, a Department of Defense contracting officer because he likes and shares our content on Facebook and on LinkedIn. I really appreciate that because he's helping other people find the podcast. So those who share our content make it easier for more people to find it. Thanks. Okay, so Shelly just kind of went through what is a CPARS and, and, and the purpose of it is kind of a, like a report card. So on the government side, you were what was called a, a CPARS focal point. What exactly does a CPARS focal point do on the government side? And it's important to know that the CPARS focal point can be in any organization. I've been in some organizations where that person was in the program office. I've been in other ones, like my last job, where it was my job. I was part of the policy shop for the contracting squadron, and it was my job. So basically what the CPARS focal point does is as a new contract is awarded, they make sure that the correct people are assigned, the assessing official, the contractor rep, the reviewing official, all of those folks have a role that are assigned and then keeps track of when those CPARs are due. And if they get overdue, they get reported normally to the wing commander. And that's not a happy thing. So make sure that you're pinging those people to get those CPARs done because they have 120 days from the end of the contract performance period they're assessing to do the CPARs. But you know, you've also got contractor response timelines and polishing it up to make it look really good and different people that it sits in there in basket because they're on vacation. And so that 120 days goes really fast. So it's an other duty as assigned for people. It's not like there's not like somebody who that's their full-time job. Usually that is the case. It is not someone that it is their full-time job. It's, it's one of those 
additional duties that they they have the privilege of doing. <laughs> the privilege, I like that. Okay, so so Christy, what, what does that look like from the industry side where you're actually getting the CPARS report? They were of limited use to us, although I think more recently they're getting they're getting a little bit more important. In maybe five, ten years ago, we rarely even got them, or they were six months late or a year late. What we had, what we did in the, in my last company is we had a focal point on our side, a single point where all the CPARs for all the programs came in to make sure that nothing got missed, and then they were they were funneled out from there to the contracts person assigned to the program whose responsibility it was to make sure that the program manager responded. So it's, it's an overhead function that's just added onto the pile of things the contractor has to do is have a, CPAR, a CPARS point of contact. Exactly. And, and how, long, how long does the CPARS sit in your office before it gets moved out? I mean, do you, do you feel like you're struggling to meet that 120 days from your perspective? Uh, well, we don't really have, we have a much shorter deadline than 120 days. <laughs> If my recollection is correctly, it's 30 days you have to respond. And if you don't, then whatever the government sent is final. So it's really important that you you look at what you got. And if you have anything, if if you're going to take issue with anything, that you respond within the deadline. And they do send a lot of reminders out. The government, whoever government system that does it will constantly remind you that you have a CPAR out there waiting. And you, it's all done online. You go online and you put your comments in and it goes back to the government and then they review your comments and determine whether to make it final or not, or, or you get an opportunity to negotiate it. If you don't respond within the 30 days, you're done. You don't get an opportunity then to say anything more about it. So it's, it's a speak now or forever hold your peace kind of thing. So how do well, you- if I could chime in on that. Now you only have 14 days. Now, what the regulation says is that a contractor has 60 days, a total of 60 days to respond. Okay, so you're looking at 60 days, contractor response, 120 days for the whole process. But the reality is you only have 14 days before it becomes public. And the CPARS information flows into two other systems, the Past Performance Information Retrieval System, the PIPRs, and FAPIS, which is the Federal Award Performance Information System, that and, and those are accessible by contracting officers, other, you know, some of it's publicly available. And if you don't respond within that 14 days, that information goes ahead and is transferred out into FAPIS and PIPRS. So it's already out there for people to see. And even if it's ultimately changed later, it's already been seen by by folks. And you know, you can't you can't unsee bad ratings. You can't do that. Wow. So, so Christy, if you're on the industry side and you have, you're the contracts person and you got 14 days to turn this thing around, what leverage do you have to get people to move any faster? Well, 14 days is still enough. Um, the main thing is to know what the deadline is. Now, if you've got a program manager who's traveling or working on site and, you know, it's not as accessible it might be a little bit more of a challenge, but I still think 14 days is is not unreasonable. It might be more of a problem if it's a negative rating, <laughs> because you that's going to involve getting more people involved. Most of the CPARs that I had, 
very rarely did we even comment. We accepted them. They were, they were good ones. And there's not a, there's not a lot of detail in them. So there's not a lot to take issue with. So let, let's zoom out for a second and, and put this in context of the, uh, the acquisition and execution time zones. So the CPARS, kind of to Shelley's point, the CPARS starts when you have a contract. So it really lives in the execution time zones. So the, the performance zone is where these come up. So they're done every 365 days, not every year. It's funny how you said 365. And then when there's a recompete of the contract, people start looking at the CPARS. And I agree, Christy, that seems like it's happening more now than it used to. CPARS is becoming, it's like we're starting to look at our credit score more because that's kind of what a, a CPARS is. Here's the interesting part. It starts in the execution time zones, but it bleeds over into the acquisition time zones because they kind of overlap each other. During the RFP zone, that's when a lot of this recompete stuff's happening. And then during the source selection zone, if it's an evaluation criteria, CPARS is a big deal. So it's a very important thing to understand if it's going to impact you. If it's an evaluation criteria or if, it, if the government chooses to use it as part of past performance, which they can. So Shelly, did you ever use CPARS as part of your past performance as, as a written evaluation criteria? Well, yes and no. When I was actively a contracting officer, my last seven years I spent with the government, I held a contracting officer warrant, but I was also a procurement analyst. So I didn't sign as many contracts. But so when I was actively a contracting officer, we did it. However, what, what occurred in that time frame about 2010 or so around in there was there was a lot of policy letters that came out and uh, DOD FAR rule changes that basically said we are not correctly evaluating contractors and we're not sufficiently evaluating them. And as a result, uh, and this was you know, part of better buying power and all of those different initiatives that they had, the CPARs became a kind of a mandatory thing that you're going to use CPARs for everything that you do. And, and now, as a result of directly before award, even if it's not a CPARs applicable contract, you still can pull a FAPIS, the CEO can pull a FAPIS report for anything over $25,000 and put it in the contract file to show that there's not any negative past performance reports in there. So that's mandatory. That's, that's mandatory. Of course, FAR requires that. Then you know, you've got the PIPRs, which can also be accessed. And again, some of that, there's a public version and there's also a version that contractors and uh, contracting officers can look at. Uh, but again, it's very generic. It'll say this is the number of reports, this is the number of negative findings, this is the number of terminations for convenience. So because all that information comes from CPARS, they said you need to do a much better job. And yes, then they started statistically tracking each command and how many overdue CPARS they had. And like Christy said, you know, when we first when I first took over the CPARS focal point, we had some that were like five years overdue. <laughs> wow. So the whole life of the contract, no one had ever reported on it. So yet it has much more power now. I, in the last five years of my career, I never saw a single source selection that did not use the CPARS as part of its past performance evaluation. Yeah, I, I used it. I didn't make it a, a written evaluation criteria, but we always checked it. It was always something that if, if you have an unsatisfactory during our, our past performance review, we're going to mention it. So. Christy, did you ever get one mentioned during the evaluation of one of the projects you worked on where the government was using the CPARS? 
No, I never did. And, and our impression was always a negative CPAR was what you wanted to avoid. It, it, it didn't help you a lot, but a negative one would hurt you. And I think some of that is because there wasn't a lot of detail in them. And I mean, it was mainly, you know, a rating, excellent, and then all the way down to unsatisfactory. So all of the good, the good choices weren't a whole lot of help, but a bad one could really hurt you. And a lot of the procurements that we had, we had to, we still, despite the fact that there were CPARs available, we'd have to do past performance forms, send them out to the contracting officers of our other contracts and and it just seemed to me that the system could have avoided a lot of that if it was a little bit more robust. And that might be what they're trying to do with it now. But yeah, it's an interesting point that a really good CPARS is expected, whereas a really bad one, all of a sudden it's a black eye. <laughs> so, so there's, yeah, there's yeah. interesting that there's, there's, no, there's no upside of overperforming on a CPARS. But that's a podcast for a different day. Also, so based on that, the CPARS matters on the government side, because there's, there's more of a push to use it, right? And it's, and it's becoming more, more a part of the decision to award. And then on the industry side, it's, there isn't a whole lot of upside of overperforming on the CPARs, but there's a lot of downside of screwing it up. And so that's why they matter, right? So the second question we'll go through is, what do you do if you don't like what you get in your CPARs? Or if you don't like what the, in my, from my perspective as a contracting officer, if I don't like what the, the program manager has written, say you, you can't prove this. <laughs> it's like, it's just as your opinion, it's out of context, it's out of the scope, scope of the contract. So we'll start with, with Shelly. If you see stuff that you don't like in the CPARs, what do you do about it? I want to backtrack just a teeny tiny little bit. One of the reasons why having a good CPARs matters more now is because there are still some agencies that are doing trade-offs and they are using past performance as an evaluation factor. So in other words, if you have exceptional past performance on a CPARS versus somebody who has satisfactory, you can get a higher trade-off value. So just to let you know that. However, what we are seeing almost across the board is most agencies are going to the lowest price technically acceptable offer. So they're just looking at CPARS or any past performance as a pass-fail factor. So you know a good one's not gonna do you any good, but a bad one's going to hurt you. But to your question, the first thing you need to do, and again, it's interpretive to your company, because some people, if they get just a bad rating in one category, they want to challenge it. In other cases, if overall it's satisfactory, they don't really care. Sometimes the whole CBARS is bad, and you need to challenge it. But in any case, your first call needs to be to the assessing official. The assessing official will be identified on the CBARS, who assessed, in other words, who supposedly put those ratings in. We're not going to get into the debate here about who does or who does not do it. Usually it's the contracting officer representative, the end user, the customer who should be doing it. But sometimes it's a core who doesn't know whether your company's performing or not, and they're just checking blocks and sending it on to the next person. But somebody completed it, and it's going to name that assessing official. And you're going to call them, and you're going to say, this is, this is, in fact, what I would do is I would send an email to the CO and the assessing official and say, we disagree with this CPARS rating and we want a meeting. That's the first thing I would do. Then the second thing you do is you put your comment very thoughtfully in the CPAR system and send it back because that puts it on a hold if you're within that 14 days that that's not going to be sent any further forward 
if you meet that 14 days of getting your comments in. It has to just sit there until it's resolved. Now, you said thoughtful comments. Were you helping a, a, were you helping one of our clients come up with those thoughtful comments recently? I was because you know, here, here's the deal. Your contract is your child. Okay, you're, you're a contractor and you're doing the, the best job that you know how to do. And you know there's some personality issues with some of the people, but for the most part, people like what you're doing. And you've been doing it for a year and you haven't heard a single bad thing. And all of a sudden, that child brings home a really sucky report card. And that's what the CPARS is. So they get that, they get this bad CPARS, and that means, you know, every category is unsatisfactory. And your first reaction is you want to scream and yell and pound things and hit people and whatever. You, you want to, in other words, in your narrative, you want to say, you people are so stupid, you didn't even look at this stuff. But that is not the correct way. You know, the correct way is to say, you have said that we failed to meet this metric 25% of the time. There has been no information provided to the contractor. You need to provide us with concrete proof of how we failed to meet this 25% of the time or whatever. So be very thoughtful to just address what they've said in the comments about what you failed, not just we're not a bad contractor and you're stupid. And, you know, and like I said, I've had, I've had some, I had, I had one client that, they went in to the meeting and it's two brothers and the reason the one brother took the other brother is because one, it was very cool headed. And so when the kind of hot headed brother was ready to pound the table, the other brother would kind of just put his hand over the arm of the other brother. So he would not pound the table during the meeting uh, because that's not going to get you anywhere. That's just, that's not going to get you anywhere at all. So, so, but, but yes, you need, you need to challenge it both by responding in the comments in the CPAR and contacting the contracting officer and the, the assessing official. And Christy's absolutely right. Contracting, as far as the regulations go, contracting has nothing whatsoever to do with CPARs. Here's the reality. If you are a good contracting officer, you are put in there at least being able to have the reading capability. And you ask those folks to send it through you before they send it out. Because we all know there's things that people put in and it's just one situation that they're upset with when, in fact, overall the performance was great. Call the contracting officer because they can then contact the program manager and get all the right people in the right room. But I think to me, a good contract officer should review this before they go out. And I've been many agencies where that was a requirement. Awesome. All right. So, Christy. What, what do you do on the industry side when you get that, you got 14 days to respond, it just came in and it has stuff you don't like in it? The first thought is, why did you not know this is coming? We worked hard to stay in touch with our customers so that if there were problems, we didn't find out about them when the CPAR came out. A program manager who is not in touch with his customer and does not know that there's some kind of problem is going to hear from his supervisor, manager, vice president of the company, these things go up to the top if they're negative. If there's a negative CPAR, it will go all the way to the top. I never ran into one where we weren't aware that there was a situation that a customer was not 100% happy with. And if we knew this kind of thing was going on, we'd start documenting. Sometimes it was a personality conflict. You know, there's only so much you can do about them but you can protect yourself by documenting. 
document the things you're doing so that when you provide a comment back, you have you have data to support your position. I mean, we've, we had program managers that we had to change out because of personality conflicts, because we knew we, we weren't going to get a decent CPAR out of, you know, because of the conflict between our program manager and the customer. When one comes in and it's negative, is a meeting is called, upper management is involved, and a, a response is carefully, carefully drafted. I think Shelley Shelley's position or opinion that that having a meeting first is better if you can get one. You can't always, but if you can, is to sit down with the uh, assessing official and inv- always involve wherever possible the contracting officer on the government side. That's kind of a and we would have the program manager on our side, the end user customer on the government side, and both contracting officers the government and the industry one involved, as well as senior management if it it was that bad. All right. We hit a lot of high points today. Let's let's wrap this up. Any other key points that you want people to really grasp before we close this out? Well, I would just say from the the government side that Christy's absolutely right. No contractor should ever be blindsided by a bad steep bars. They, they should know that it's coming and be aware of the performance problem. And there should be work with, you know, the, the two parties to get those corrected before the CPARS period. Because if it's something that's been corrected, then it is no longer a negative. It is a, we've worked on the problem and we've solved it. And the, the other thing is, is just please, 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 please challenge the CPARS. I've had situations where the recommendation was to challenge the CPARs, the comments were written up and ready to be sent back, and the upper management of the company decided they didn't want to upset the government, and they chose not to challenge the CPARs, and it was a bad one. And now it's coming back to bite them because they are losing on past performance assessments because they have that bad CPARs in the system. So it follows you forever. They stay in the system for like 50 years. It's ridiculous how long they keep this stuff. So you need to challenge those because it's the lifeblood of your company. It, it's your reputation that's out there. Yeah, it's actually worse than a bankruptcy. <laughs> At least that goes away after seven years. It absolutely is. Absolutely. Any, any, any parting thoughts, Christy? I would say, I mean, I agree with Shelley. Absolutely. If if there's a bad one, you can't let it stand. And there are diplomatic ways to challenge them. I think upper management has has a lot, has a, a role in in trying to resolve bad CPARs. That's why we were, if we got a bad one, it, it went all the way to the top of the company. And sometimes the, the chief executive had to pay a visit to somebody higher up in the government and if nothing else, to say, we're taking this seriously, I'm addressing this, and and that, you know, at least the company went on record that they took it seriously. Awesome. Well, this is fun. Thanks again for, for taking the time to sit in. We'll have more topics on, you name it. <laughs> there's, there's so many pieces of the CPARs to discuss, but you know, contract management as a whole is always fun. So thanks, folks, and we'll see you on the next one. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Kevin, as well as Shelly Hall and Christy Gilbert for that great insight on CPARs. And thanks to you for joining us. 
If you need help understanding your CPARs, Kevin, Shelly, Christy, and the rest of the Skyway team can help. Visit AskSkyway.com to learn how. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back.